0: Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God as people and as purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. We're continuing our series on Limitless. And today, we're going to look at limitless faith. And can you put the PowerPoint up, please? Have you not got one? No? All right. Have you got ears? Put your hand if you've got any ears. Right. So we can manage fine. Right. Limitless faith. Let me start with a question. A very easy question. What are you going to base your whole life on? Are you going to base it on the the wisdom of the world or on faith in Jesus Christ? Right. right. This is a Bible-believing church. There are some churches you could go to where what you would get is the wisdom of the world. But this is a Bible-believing church, so the answer should be obvious. I'm not a heretic. In fact... In fact, it's my 40th birthday later this year. I'm just looking for the reaction on your faces. <laughs> so There's something wrong here. Or, or perhaps some of you are thinking, he's not that old. <laughs> or is that another delusion gone down the drain? Never mind. It will be 40 years. Oh, we have got, hold well on. You've got, you've got, go on to the next slide that's got the questions on it it will be 40 years on November 22nd, 10 past 11 in Merton College, Oxford, when I knelt down on my knees and gave my life to Jesus. (laughs) uh, uh, For several years before that, I'd been an atheist loving to argue against Christians and with with Christians and against Christians and say, on that day, I knelt down and gave my life to Jesus. Jesus. And have no intentions of looking back. So the answer is obvious. But let's just look at it. Let's look at the wisdom of the world, which is essentially atheistic, humanistic. What does it tell us? What does it tell us about why we're here, who we are, what we're here for? Well, it tells us nothing. It says we came into existence purely by chance. It actually hasn't got a clue how we came into existence, but however it happened, it happened by chance. So we're here for no reason and for no purpose. Now, we have to invent a purpose, otherwise life becomes utterly futile and horrible. But any purpose we imagine we have is purely imaginary. And then you die, and you go back to being nothing. So you come from nothing, you are nothing, and you go back to being nothing. At least it's consistent. (laughs) What does the Bible tell us? What does Jesus tell us? Well, it tells us this. This is very wobbly. It tells us that we were created on purpose. And Eileen, the stuff that you shared earlier, you've no idea how closely it ties in with what I'm going to be preaching about this morning. It tells us we were created on purpose. A deliberate act of God. We were created for a purpose, and we were created in the image of God out of the love of God. Now, we rebelled against God. We said, God, we don't need you. We can manage fine without you. And that proves to be a complete disaster. What did God do? It says, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die for us on the cross that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life so that after we die, and when Jesus comes back, we'll be raised to new life, and we're going to reign with Christ forever. So, this question has got to be the ultimate no-brainer. One of them offers you absolutely nothing. The other gives you absolutely everything. So, the answer is, it's just, it's so obvious what we should do. But it's not quite that simple. It doesn't work out quite that easily, does it? So let's go into 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. And there it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who have been saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. The world thinks we're a bunch of numpties. You know that. Uh, who's heard of John Lennox? I know some of you have. Right. He's he's a mathematician? Yes. He's from Oxford? Yes. He's from Northern Ireland. Uh, you get some good stuff from Northern Ireland. We've got several. Veritable, excellent samples in this room today. You can speak to them afterwards if you want to see what good stuff you can get from Northern Ireland. He's also a Christian. And when he was quite a young academic, he was uh, meeting uh, speaking to some Nobel Prize winner. I'm an academic, I'm a rather old academic now. He must have been good. I've never met a Nobel Prize winner. And he was a young academic who was speaking to a Nobel Prize winner. But anyway, this Nobel Prize winner took him aside and said, if you want a career in science, you need to forget this Christianity stuff. He didn't. And for those of you who don't know, John Lennox, as well as being a mathematician, he's written many books on science and faith and other things as well. He's given talks in many universities. He gave a talk at Dundee University, I think, six or seven years ago. He's debated people like Richard Dawkins. But the world thinks the message of the cross is folly. Then it says, but to those of us who have been saved, it's the power of God. I've been a Christian for 40 years, almost. And obviously, during that time, many things happened. We go through many things in life, some of them good and fantastic, other ones, things we'd rather not go through. But I never lose hope. Why? Because the foundation of my life is not me. The strength of my life is not me. The foundation of my life is Jesus Christ. The strength of my life is Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. That is the foundation of my life. You can knock me down to the floor, but I'll get up again, because Christ lives in me. So for us, we know that the cross, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ is the power of God. Now, let's go to the next verse. Oh, we're going to skip. We're going to 21. It says, for we know in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, and it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now, we need to understand in this that Paul's using sort of rhetorical language times. The Greeks, remember when uh, Paul preached on Mars Hill? And when he started talking about the resurrection, they were saying, who's this babbler? What nonsense is he on about now? Another time is before uh, a guy, called, I think called Felix, and he said, Paul, you're, you're out of your mind. And the world can think that what we believe is nuts. And that's one there saying, you can't know God through the wisdom of the world. Now let me tell you, most of us are Christians here, and let me tell you what didn't happen to you when you became a Christian. And for any of you who aren't Christians, I'm going to tell you later what does happen. This is what didn't, the first part did happen, but a bit after it didn't. You heard someone, a preacher, evangelist, a friend, alpha course, read a book or whatever. Someone told you the message of Jesus Christ. That bit probably did happen, almost certainly did. And then you thought, well, that's a good idea. I think I'll start following this way now. That's not what happened. This is what did happen. Someone did tell you about Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit opened up, took away the veil that was over your mind, opened up your spiritual eyes and ears, enabled you to see and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you were born again. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you became a new creation. See, being a Christian is not just a matter of how, well, I'm not going to live my life that way any longer, I'm going to live my life this way. That's not what it's about. It's about being born again in the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about becoming a new creation in Jesus Christ. And we need to appreciate the enormity of what has happened in our lives. We need to appreciate exactly who we are in Christ. And it goes on in 124 and 5. But to those who are called... Both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than the, uh, than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, first of all, just notice what it says. It says, "For those who are called, both Jews and Greeks." Earlier on in this chapter, he said, "The cross uh, to, uh, to the Jews, the cross is an offense." And to the Greeks, the cross is just absolute nonsense. But who gets saved here? The Jews and the Greeks. We, can li- we live in a society and in a world which is very much anti-God. That should not discourage us in the least. Because God chooses people from every tribe and town, from everywhere, every sector of society, every whatever human grouping we try to put ourselves in or anyone wants to put themselves in, God breaks into those groups and starts taking people to be his own. And Paul himself is a prime example. We all know that Paul was converted on, on the road to Damascus. Everyone, almost the whole world knows that. And probably all know, or most of us know that he was going there to persecute the church. Do you know why he was going to Damascus in particular? Let me tell you, this is really good. The church was starting to get established in Damascus. There'd been a church plant. And the Jewish religious leaders were getting really worried because Damascus was a major commercial and trading center. And all sorts of trade routes went through Damascus. And they were so f- fearful, thinking that if this message, the message of Jesus Christ gets a hold in Damascus, it will then start spreading all over the place. So they wanted to stop this. So they said, Paul, Paul, you go to Damascus and you crush the church and stop this message spreading. What did God do? So we know Jesus encountered... Uh, Paul on the road to Damascus and said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And then said to him, you are going to take the gospel to the rest of the world. You see that? The men planned to crush and stop the gospel in Damascus. The very way, the very person they we were going to use to do that was the very person who God used to impact the whole world. The the weakness of God, the foolishness of God is far stronger and wiser than the wisdom and strength of men. Let's go on, let's jump on to verse 28. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Sometimes you might think, why did God choose me? I'm nothing. That's why God chose you. Earlier on it says, "Not many of you were wise, not many of you of noble birth, not many of you are considered important in the world." But God chose you. And He chose you for a purpose, just as Eileen was, uh, Aileen was spo- uh, talking about earlier. He chose us for a purpose. Many of the letters Paul refers to as, as saints. Now, we've completely mangled that word. Often, if you talk about saints, you think, it means a super Christian. Uh, Particularly if you uh, come from a Catholic-type background. You know, Catholic church, not the only one, but the main church which has got, they've got hundreds of saints. Very weird names, some of them as well. They've got hundreds of saints, but to to be a saint, you've usually got to be dead. (laughs) And you've got to be verified that you've, uh, carried out two miracles, maybe some other things as well. Look, can I just tell you? After I die, I will not give two hoots whether anyone decides whether I'm a saint or not. But anyway, the Bible talks of the saint. No, no, it doesn't mean that. It just means you're a Christian. It doesn't. This is what it means. It means far more than that. It means someone set apart by God for a purpose. And that's who every single one of us in this room who believes in Jesus Christ is. You are a person who has been deliberately set apart by God on purpose for a purpose out of love. That's who we are. You see, that question I asked right at the beginning. We can look at our lives sometimes and we, think, we start thinking like the world. Oh, it's just Things just happen by chance. I'm just in these circumstances by chance. No, you're not. God's set you apart. That, now, for, the way that that works out will differ for each one of us. For some people, it will be in, uh, caring for people who are particularly difficult to care for. It might be someone in your family. It might be it's part of your job to care for people. It might be something you do for a volunteer organization or whatever it might be. You're not just doing it. God set you apart to do that. Remember that Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me. It's a personal service to God. You might be called to stand out against injustice. You might be called to stand out against the madness of some of the ways in which society is going. You might be called to encourage the church. You might be called to evangelize, to reach people who no one else has a clue how to reach. But God has set you apart. But in all of these things, God bases his plans on a very different basis to how we work out our own plans. You see, if you're just looking at yourself and it's what are your plans for, our, uh, for your life, we base them on what we can do, on what we can handle, on what we feel secure in. God's plans and purposes for our lives are based on what He can do through us and what He can enable us to endure. And those are two very different things. With the first one, our lives will be limited, severely limited, and will be easily stopped. Because in all these things, whether it's caring to people, evangelizing, preaching, whatever else it might be, there are times when we just want to walk away. Amen? You know what we're talking about. And if you basically now say, Oh, well, I'm, d- I'm just here, when you in those circumstances, we can think, and we start thinking like the world on a worldly basis, and it's just based on what I can do, on my strength, my resources. It's so easy just to want to walk away and to think that's all we can do. but we have been set apart by God for a purpose. Our things are based on his strength, on what he can do through us. And when we base our our, our lives worked out on that basis, all limits are off. Because God can do anything through us. Let's go on to the next bit. It says, and because of God... You are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God has made us righteous. It says elsewhere, he's justified us. That means we are completely acceptable. God. When we're going through life, walking through life, you could sometimes, without Christ, you would feel feel that God's against you. But because of Christ, we are completely accepted by God. Now just think about why that's so important. Who knows what it's like to be in the doghouse? Come on, every husband should have the hand up. In fact, I'm so used to being in the dog house. I sometimes refer to our house as the kennel. <laughs> I, might just, I might just do a rudder at the end of this sermon, okay? If I go out that way, you know why. Where was I going with this? <laughs> it's all because of God. So we have this wisdom, We have this, we, our lives are based on what God can do. Our lives are based on what God is doing in us. We need to know who we are. You're not normal. Now you can probably all agree I'm not normal. But none of us are actually normal. Because we are being made a new creation in Christ. We need to realize just how much God has done in us, what he has done in us and how much he's going to do in us. Now, yeah, I've talked about the difficult times. Can I give you a prayer which I've found to be extremely powerful? Now, just before you start thinking I'm super holy, those of you who know me will know I'm not, when I'm in one of these situations, I usually spend several months praying, God, get me out of this. Okay? It takes me several months to get to the point at which I'm going to pray that, tell you this prayer. And finally, I get to a point where I realize God's not going to answer it, and God's not listening. I ask, well, this is a prayer, and then suddenly everything changes. And I pray, God, don't take me out of these circumstances until everything you want to achieve in me and everything you want to achieve through me has been fulfilled. And at the moment I pray that prayer, it is amazing how different things become. How different I become. Because from that point on, before that, my life's been based on me. After that, it's been based on Jesus. And that changes everything. So let's go into chapter 2. We're not going through the whole book of 1 Corinthians, just in case anyone's getting that this is a limitless sermon. Those of you who have any interest in cricket, which uh, I know a lot Scotland, probably not many of you do. But there used to be a time, you know, a test match is five days. Some of you might actually know that. It might seem to go on longer, but it's actually five days. There was a time when they had what they were called timeless tests. They just carried on until someone won. If it took ten days to do it, they just, well, that was fine. But this is not a timeless sermon. So, Paul, he says here, For I decided to know nothing among you, except Christ and him crucified. And I was was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, the Greeks were keen on philosophy. You know about people like Plato and Aristotle. They'd been dead for about 400 years or so by this point. But they, they had lots of people coming, coming in, uh, philosophers of various sorts, giving uh, TED Talks of the day. <laughs> people like Jordan Peterson, and they, they get vast crowds. And they, and they used, they were very clever speakers, and would people, I guess, pay money for, to them, for, or to, to listen to them. And Paul says this, I came, not relying on any human wisdom. But I came relying on nothing but Christ and Him crucified. You see, why do we do what we do? I'll tell you why I preach. I want to see lives changed. That's the reason I do it. But I can't change anybody's life. Only God can. God is the one who changes lives. But he involves us in the work that he's doing. So we do these things and we're relying on the, on the Holy Spirit. Relying on who God is. Relying on what God has done. So all that we do, we make that the foundation of what we do. And when we do that, then we can see people's lives changed. Then he goes on in a couple of verses later. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I mean, Paul has been talking a lot about it, putting things in, oh, we're preaching foolishness. He's just doing that sort of for rhetorical reasons, contrasting it with the Greeks who were saying, Oh, he's just talking nonsense here. Yes, yeah, most saying, yes, but this nonsense changes lives. We say, actually, it is wisdom. I used to get annoyed. I still get annoyed about lots of things, but I, I used to get annoyed. People would think, say, was it for intellectual reasons or some special argument that you became a Christian? I used to get really annoyed when people asked that. I said, nothing to do with it. I became Christian because I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. But I didn't stop thinking. And I could tell you that the gospel, the Bible, makes more sense of life than anything else. There's, it's, sometimes people talk about faith as be, believing something when there's no evidence for it. They haven't got a clue. The historical evidence for the Bible, the historical evidence for the resurrection, uh, if you look at Christianity on a philosophical basis, if you look at the Bible on a scientific basis, Sociological, psychological basis, any logical basis you like, it makes more sense than anything else of the world. And look what he says there. It says, but it's not based on the wisdom of this world or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Jesus walked this planet 2,000 years ago. There'd be many empires. Many kingdoms surround since then. Do you know what's happened to them all? They've all collapsed. Obviously, there's one or two still around today because they haven't been around long enough. They'll collapse. Every single one of them will collapse. When the Nazis came to power in Germany in the early 30s, they were saying, We're going to establish a thousand year Reich. Twelve years later, it had utterly collapsed in complete and terrible destruction. Every empire of men will fail. They'll set themselves up for a time, but then they will fall. There's been one kingdom which, for 2,000 years, has been taking over every single nation, every single people, working throughout the whole globe in constant expansion mode, there hasn't, I don't, there's 200 and odd nations in the world. And I think, I don't know if it's reached every single, it might be the odd nation, which is a good answer on pointless, which is not reached. But apart from that, it's reached every single nation, every single culture. Nothing has been able to withstand the gospel. The gospel, the kingdom of God is in permanent expansion mode. And it's an expansion mode in this country as well. At the present, the last, I don't know, 50, 100 years, or whatever, the tide, that sort of intellectual tide, sociological tide, has been very much against the church, against Christianity. Well, those are precisely the conditions in which God loves to work. <laughs> so let's go on to the last verse we're going to look at. It says, as it is written, what are you going to base your life on? That's right at the start. It says, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man understood what God has prepared for those who love him. So what are we going to base our life on? Are we going to base it on human wisdom? Or are we going to base it on the wisdom of God? When all the limits are off. See, what does God do? Where does God make the streams flow? In the desert. Where does God make the light shine? In the darkness. You might feel in your own life that you're going through a dry period, you're walking through a desert. You might even feel you're walking through utter dark, through the valley of death, through utter darkness. God makes His light shine in the darkness. And we might look with a human eyes at society And just despair at the direction that it's going in. But God makes his light shine in the darkness. So we should not lose hope. But also look at the end. For those who love him, this is personal as well. It's not just about a broad brush about how the kingdom of God overcomes everything and grows. It's about what God does in each one of us as individuals. Just look at how God works. He he said he was going to create a people more more numerous than the stars in the sky and more numerous than the grains of sand in the desert. So who did he choose to to start this plan off with? He chose Abraham and Sarah, a couple who could not have children together. Then later on he says, I'm going to set the Israelites free from captivity in Egypt. So who did he choose? He chose Moses, a man who had tried and failed to help the Israelites a man who had been on the run for 40 years, a man within within whom every dream had been shattered. And God chose him to set the Israelites free from captivity. And who did he use to defeat Goliath? He used David. When Samuel the prophet went to David's family and said, God's told me the next king comes from here, they didn't even give a thought to it being David. The brothers thought nothing of him. The king said, his, his dad, uh, not going to be him. God chose him. Many years later, many of the Israelites were in exile and they were threatened with genocide. And who did God choose to work through, to, to uh, rescue them from that situation? He chose Esther. And she had to enter a beauty contest. I don't know what the Me Too movement would make of that, but you see, God, we need to base our life on God, because yeah. when it's based on us, we, it's just so limited, and defeat is the it's defeats the only option in the end, because you're going to die. With God, there are no limits to what can happen. And, does it matter how much failure there might have been in your life up to this point? When God gets involved, everything changes. Let's stand and pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you have created us on purpose, for a purpose, and out of love. We thank you for the enormity of your plans for us as individuals, for your plans for this church. Lord, may we base our life on who you are, on what you've done. May we follow you, may we follow in your footsteps. May we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for all that you are going to do in this nation, in Jesus' name. Amen.